Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. David and Joel, good to have you all here. Didn't notice you all before. Yeah, so this morning I'll, I will be preaching again from 1 Thessalonians. And the last time I shared from 1 Thessalonians was a long time ago, actually. I haven't preached here at Bethel for quite a while. And uh, I did not really mind the break that much, to be honest. I did preach at chapel more recently. Anyway, last time it was, it was God's plan for Christ's return. And uh, so following that message, I had a plan also. And my plan was to finish this study, more or less, uh, with one last sermon. Just kind of wrap up these closing remarks. So, but unlike any of God's plans, my plan had to keep getting updated as I studied this passage more and more. And so what, and this happens to me sometimes and probably happens to you also, that you, you'll study something and realize, you know, there is a bit more here than I first noticed. And, and so what happens here, uh, starting in verse 12 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, is that Paul uh, just dashes off several different remarks that are all pretty big and important. Uh, they, they have to do with different areas of congregational life, and the more I looked at them, the more I thought, you know, the, each of these is kind of a big deal, and I should probably slow down a bit. And these three different areas that Paul talks about are how the ordained relate to the non-ordained, not a small subject, how the congregation as a whole uh, deals with weaknesses and needs within it, not a small subject, and then finally, how... The, how individuals within the congregation respond to hurts and injuries, which is not a small subject either. In fact, I'm only going to cover the first two of these three areas this morning. So instead of my initial plan, which was to go through about 15 verses, we're going to look at about three verses this morning. And I think, I think each of these three areas... Um, are, are important indicators as to how we're doing as a congregation. How healthy are we? They're not the only indicators, but these three are, are three important indicators as to the health of our congregational life, in my opinion. So we'll be looking at how the ordained and the non-ordained should relate. That's verses 12 and 13. And then verse 14, how the congregation needs to deal with needs and weaknesses within it. And then finally, verse 15, I'm probably going to save for council meeting, is what I'm thinking of at least. That's my next plan, is to save it for council meeting. Uh, we'll see. That might change. So I'm, I'm going to start here at verse 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll read verses 12 and 13. We'll talk for a while about how the ordained and the non-ordained ought to relate. And then we'll kind of shift gears. It's kind of like a two-part sermon. And then we'll talk about needs in the congregation. And then at the end of it all, I think I'll just close it while, while I'm up here instead of getting someone else to come up here and close the service. So verse 12, English Standard Version. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And so here Paul addresses two categories of people, 
basically those who are elders and those who are not. And we know that there are many more different types of people and roles in the church, but for now he just kind of gives these two groups. And he says the short version of what he's saying in these verses is the non-ordained need to respect the ordained, and these two groups need to be at peace with each other. Because it's so easy for there to be something less than peace between leadership and those they're supposed to be leading. Because we're human. And it's easy for each group to develop a wrong attitude about the other group. Leaders can become domineering. And non-leaders can become resentful and nitpicking. And so these verses tell me that, that even in a, in a church like the one of Thessalonica, which had just barely started, this verse suggests to me that maybe there was already a bit of friction between these two groups of people. It wasn't a perfect church. And Paul says this must not be, the, this must not be true in God's family. This, this should not be the case in God's family. Be at peace with each other. And we really have good reason to expect for and hope for peace because of verses like verse 23. May the God of peace, who we serve, sanctify you, us, completely. Now, for there to be a peace between the ordained and the non-ordained, each, each side needs to uh, take his responsibility seriously. And we'll look at them starting with the non-ordained. What are the non-ordained supposed to do? Paul says two things here, and they seem quite similar. And by the way, some of this does feel a little bit awkward for me to be preaching about, because I feel like I'm saying, you need to be really nice to the ministry. But I feel like I need to preach this. So here, Paul says, respect those who labor among you and are over you. And then he says, esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Respect and esteem uh, here would seem to be very similar terms. Respect could also be translated appreciate or acknowledge. Esteem, in this context, has to do with more how you think of something, how you regard something. And Paul says, esteem them very highly, which is a Greek word that starts with hyper, actually. Both of these terms are talking about a heartfelt appreciation for leadership. Not so much uh, teeth-grinding submission. There should be heartfelt appreciation for, for a leader who is genuinely trying to serve the church. Now, how do you have heartfelt appreciation for someone who is not doing his job as a leader? I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. Paul says, there, there, you know, there are two sides to this. Paul says, esteem them very highly in love because of their work. So if the work is missing, it would stand to reason that it's going to be hard for the leadership to be highly esteemed. Now, I'll just add to that another uh, I don't know if caveat is the right word, but you can always find, a re pretty much always you can find a reason to disrespect somebody if you want to. You pretty much always can. Just watch long enough. 
And you can probably find a reason to not respect someone. Uh, dads and moms, something to keep in mind is that your children, if they decide to, and especially if they've been trained to, can probably find a reason to not respect you. So be sure to train them in the other way. And be a good example when it comes to um, how you see flaws in others. Paul says, non-ordained, respect the ordained. Now, let's make this real practical here. Uh, what are some ways in which you can respect your ministry? I'll give you a, a few different ways I have thought of. And I want to say first that I feel like our ministry has been respected um, and supported by many of you for year after year, and I want to honor you for that. Uh, three ways that I have felt I have seen our ministry be respected, and I would like to see these continue. This is just three things that I thought of. One is just to be patient with us when it takes us a long time to get things done. Okay, I mean, I I am one of the probably the, one of the most impatient persons in the room. And I know that it can be frustrating when you feel like something needs to be done and it's not happening. And so I'm not, I'm not encouraging you to not say anything about it to us. Um, I, think it's, I think it's perfectly good and healthy for you to give us feedback saying, you know, this, this really needs to be taken care of or whatever the issue may be. But try to stay patient at the same time and not just, um, you know, Try not to lose your cool. Okay, so patience is a, is a great way to respect your ministry. A second way is just to give us the benefit of the doubt when we say something that doesn't make sense to you. Because we say a lot of things. We talk a lot. We send emails. We, you know, moderating. Lots of potential for us to say something that doesn't, either it doesn't come out right or we just didn't do a good job of communicating so I would encourage you to give us the benefit of the doubt. And then the third way in which you can respect your ministry is to obey it. In our society, any teaching that says um, you need to submit to someone else is not real popular. But as uncomplicated Anabaptists, we believe that, for example, a wife should submit to her husband because that's what the Bible says. And the Bible also says equally clearly that a congregation should submit to its leaders. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. So whether it's, it's through church standards or a decision that the ministry makes as a team, you can always find some faults and weaknesses to probably just about any decision. But please obey it. That is the best way, one of the best ways to respect your ministry. If you're looking for how to respect your ministry, doing what it asks is a, is a great way to start. Again, I'm not saying no feedback. That's not what I'm trying to emphasize here. Um, Hebrews 13, 17 goes on to say, Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. In other words, if you want to do yourself a favor, 
Try not to encourage groaning among your leadership. That's one way in which you should not encourage your leadership. Don't encourage groaning. If we're groaning, we're probably all worse off because of it. So those are some three things. And again, I will say that, that I have felt uh, respected and appreciated. Maybe I just totally misinterpreted everything. But yeah, overall I have felt supported and I keep getting uh, every now and then some really nice cards uh, from, from your children. Hannah gave me a card recently. It's very nice. And those are priceless. Okay, moving on to the elder side of things. What are the elders supposed to do? Well, Paul doesn't give them direct commands here, but in describing elders, he, he shows us what he expects from them. He says, labor among, be over, admonish. So I'll go through these three things quickly here. Labor among, Paul says, he expects the ordained to be hard at work taking care of the flock. Uh, labor has the connotation of toiling or straining, so it's hard work, it's supposed to be hard work. You see a preacher who is sweating, give him a pat on the back because he's doing his job. What kind of work is this? A lot of it is preaching and teaching. Paul uses the exact same word, labor, over in 1 Timothy 5.17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. I'm going to come back to this verse in a minute, but for now, just notice labor does include preaching and teaching. There's more to, there's more to the work than just preaching and teaching. And, and we need to be careful not to be so focused on getting a sermon ready for next Sunday that we miss out on opportunities to work in other ways. Um, it's, it is a difficult balance. You don't want the congregation to just suffer, you know, the whole congregation to suffer through an unprepared sermon. But I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's healthy for a minister to only serve the congregation through preaching. So that's, that's you know, that's a tricky balance and something to be praying about for your ministry. Labor among them, Paul says. So we should be working hard for the good of the flock, whether it's preaching or visiting or whatever. And if the ministry is, is slacking in this area, we make it hard to be respected. Second thing Paul says is over you. They are over you in the Lord. That's what he expects. This has the connotation of presiding over. It means leadership. It means oversight. Uh, going back to 1 Timothy 5.17, the verse I just read, it, that verse tells us, well, it says this, let the elders who rule well, and then I'll skip the next little phrase, and he wraps that up with, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Let the elders who rule well, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching, uh, receive worthy of double honor, which would give us the idea that maybe there are elders, ruling elders, Maybe there was, he has an idea of a, a category of ruling elders who are not really that involved in preaching and teaching. The point I want to make about that verse is the ruling is not just preaching and teaching, or otherwise, 1 Timothy 5.17 doesn't make any sense. So there is more to the ruling than just preaching, than just somebody getting up front and, and preaching sermon. His expectation is that overseers will exercise Oversight, 
elders have authority and responsibility in the Lord to shepherd the flock. They do not have the authority to do that outside of the context of servanthood. It's supposed to be serving the flock, serving Christ. So there are two ways in which church leadership can go wrong. One way is for them to become domineering and self-serving. That's bad. The other way is for them to, to not really exercise any leadership. That's not good either. And in either case, I believe the congregation will struggle struggle to respect an elder like that because he's not doing his job. Third thing Paul expects is what, he's, what he calls admonish and admonish you, he says. That can mean instruct. That can mean warn. Same word as in verse 14. It's fairly easy to give instruction, provided it's... it's uh, not unpopular. It's harder to give admonishment in terms of warning. But if a leader's focus is on serving the church and serving Christ, he will do both. If a leader has, has gotten caught up in being well-liked, this can get really hard. Something else to pray for about your ministry. The, the leadership needs to be able to say tough things to the church. And that kind of communication really needs to be able to happen in both ways, respectfully. We're not beyond needing admonishment either. So just to kind of recap this first half, Paul expects church leaders to serve the church by laboring, by presiding over, by admonishing, and he asks the the non-ordained to respect the leaders. And I think this, this... issue, this is a major indicator of, of a congregation's health. Is, is there peace between the leadership and the, and the non-ordained? Is there peace and respect between these two groups of people? When there's peace and not friction, everything just runs smoothly like a well-oiled Volvo. When there's not peace, said that for Vernon, when there's not peace, uh, there's friction and wear and tear, an unhappy noises, kind of like the horrible cries of agony that come out of our churches. Swing set, which I'm referring to the swings themselves, not the children necessarily that are on them. Maybe those swings have been greased since I heard them last. I don't know. So we want there to be peace and respect between these two groups of people. Okay, now let's move on to part two, which is verse 14. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. So the needs in the church. We urge you, brothers, uh, by that he means all of us here. He's not just pointing, this is not just directed at, at the elders, the church leaders anymore. This is everybody, the whole congregation's job. Admonish the idle, encourage the pain artists, help the weak, be patient with all of them. For all groups of patient, all groups of people, for all kinds of need, all types of needs, we need to be patient. Because the human tendency is to lose patience with all of the each of these three groups, isn't it? You know. These idols just 
get busy or, or stop. Idle can also mean disorderly. Straighten up. And the faint-hearted grow up. And the weak, you know, also need to grow up. So let's not lose patience. Let's, let's look at these three, three types of needs here. Admonish the idle. Admonish, which we've, we've run, run through this word already, to mean instruction or warn. I believe in this situation he means warn. Uh, the New King James, King James, and the NIV all use the word warn here. Warn the idle. Now, these people were not just idle in that they were not busy doing work. They were idle and they were, and they were becoming disorderly. This word can also mean disorderly or unruly. There was a group of people in Thessalonica who were not working. And in their idleness, they were taking up other pursuits, like becoming a pain in the neck. was one of them. They were not doing their job, and they were turning to busybodies and so on. So Paul has a little bit of history with this group of people. Over in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, he tells us that when he was there in Thessalonica, he, he tried to teach the church, these new believers, that if you don't work, you shouldn't eat either. Fairly simple teaching. And Paul himself, of course, was an excellent example, even more of an example than he would have needed to be. Because he worked with his own hands so that he would be providing for himself. And these people really needed that example, but it apparently didn't quite work. Um, the, this, I think this was already a problem when he was there among them. There, were, there was some idleness, which is why he taught them, if you don't work, you don't eat. And since he left that region, you know, and because of persecution, they had to leave. And then after a while, he sent Timothy back to figure out how they're doing. Timothy comes back to report. We don't know exactly what Timothy said, but apparently this problem of idleness has not completely gone away. Because Paul has already had to teach about it in in First Thessalonians chapter four, which is a few verses we didn't really cover much in this study. And then here he's talking about the same group of people again. So and and here Paul in, in chapter four he gave them more teaching on the subject. Now he's telling the congregation, the body, admonish, warn them, warn them. This is more sterning now. This is more stern. And by the time we get to 2 Thessalonians, this problem still hasn't gone away. So this is the third time with these same group of people. And Paul says, now it's time to apply church discipline in this situation. These people are not responding. Don't associate with them, he says, but admonish them as a brother. So we haven't completely run out of patience or given up hope on them. Admonish them as a brother, but don't assert there's some kind of discipline going on here, and I don't understand it completely, but there is a church discipline leveled at these people that is, is a discipline that's hopefully going to be redemptive. They are under discipline. So first it was teaching, then it was warning, and then finally it was discipline. So patience, I believe Paul was, was patient through all of this, Patience doesn't necessarily mean indefinite tolerance of problems. It does not mean that. When a church has unruly or disorderly people in it, if the church only stays at stage one, and again, this is our this is this is our responsibility. It's not just 
the leadership. If the church only stays at stage one, where it's just teaching and teaching and teaching and teaching and teaching on a particular issue, and these people are not responding, at some point, that is not working. These people aren't actually being helped, and the rest of the body is suffering because of it. And so the goal, which really is to help these folks and help the church also, is it's it's not going to work if we we don't follow this pattern and 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 get into the area of warning and eventually church discipline. Okay, so the next group of people are the faint-hearted. Encourage the faint-hearted. You'll see Paul's not nearly as stern with these next two types of people. Encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. The faint-hearted are people who are a little scared of, of doing what God wants them to do. And we all are faint-hearted at times. Paul says, encourage them, which means probably all of us at some time or another are going to need this kind of encouragement. Paul says, encourage them. Here, Timothy was someone that I suspect struggled with being faint-hearted at times. And Paul told Timothy, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Reminding him of some simple truth here, which is one way in which we can help the faint-hearted. Paul says, God's spirit is an enabler. If we, if we think God wants us to do something, maybe we should be less worried about the outcome and more concerned about whether he wants us to do it or not. If he wants us to do it, he will help us to do it. Our job is to walk in the Spirit. And then we have, and, and there are other ways to encourage the faint-hearted besides just reminding them of truth. One, one big way is just to be an example ourselves and then going part way with people. Kind of like I'll go part way with Sophie sometimes to scary places in the house. Then we've got the weak, help the weak, people who are spiritually mature. Don't be alarmed if your church has some spiritually immature people in it. You don't need to kick them out. And so I think alarm is not a correct response here. They need to be helped. But another incorrect response would be to do nothing for the week. To shrug our shoulders and say, that's just the way it is. That's just the way things are. The body, not just the ministry, has an assignment here. Help the weak. And, and that's really the primary focus, one of the primary uh, purposes of the church is to grow up its members. If we don't do that, if we're not helping people grow in Christ, then we really might as well stop calling ourselves a church. We could rename ourselves to Bethel Mennonite Club, and we would have the same initials. And it, you know, if we're not going to help each other, if we're not going to be growing each other, that's kind of what it is. It's just a social event. So, in, in the faint, with, with regard to the faint-hearted, with regard to the weak, we need to be good examples ourselves. We need to work with these people. It's going to take some personal interaction, more likely than not. And it's probably going to be ongoing. Paul doesn't give any real specifics here. He doesn't dive into uh, each, because each situation is going to be different. 
So he's speaking in fairly general terms. So let's, let's recap this second section. A church is really not fundamentally flawed if it has undisciplined people in it who need admonishment, if it has faint-hearted people who need encouragement, or if it has weak people who need help. That doesn't mean the church is broken, but what is broken is when those needs are present and mostly nothing is happening. There are, there are many ways in which we can respond wrongly to needs in a congregation. We can, we can say it's someone else's problem. We can lose patience with them and throw a fit. We can just criticize them from a safe distance. Or we can just accept the status quo, and all of those are wrong responses to needs in the church. Each of us as individuals, as we see needs, need to at least consider the question, should I be doing something to help? Do I need to do something to help? Is there something I can do? Sometimes the answer is going to be no, not really. There's not really something for me to do here because other people are, are involved or it's just not a situation that I can help with. But maybe there will be, maybe there will be times in which we can help. And, and I think that's, that's where that question matters and is helpful because it, takes, it can take the focus off of other inappropriate ways to respond, like complaining or criticizing, and puts the focus on where it needs to be. What can we do to help? So this morning, here's what we covered. There were two parts to this, and, and I think both of these are important indicators of how healthy a congregation is. Is there peace between the ordained and non-ordained? Is there peace and respect? Is each part doing their job and appreciating the other group? That's the one thing. Then the other thing, is there a patient care for the needs in the church? Are the needs in the church being addressed, or are they just being ignored? And so may God help us to take these two areas of congregational life seriously and, and do our part, whatever that may be. And to keep praying, may God himself, may the God of peace himself sanctify us completely. Okay, I think we're going to just have a stand for closing prayer at this point, and then after we're done, we can uh, remain standing and Derek can lead us in the traditional doxology or whatever he wants, and after that, we'll be dismissed. Let's stand for prayer. Lord, I thank you for this church, and I thank you that you care for us as a church. I pray that you would, first of all, meet our needs and work in us and help us to be faithful to what you've called us to, faithful to be doing each of us, doing our part in this body. And uh, I pray that your word, all the things that we have heard from your word this morning would be effective and at work in our lives. Your spirit will continue to guide us from here on. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.